That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Donald Trump, as I predicted, is working as fast and as furiously as he can on behalf of the health insurance companies to destroy Medicare before it has an opportunity to become Medicare for all. And the way that they're doing this is back in 2005, you know, George W. Bush hates Medicare, too. He tried to privatize Social Security and has long, I mean, the entire Republican Party is long ever since Medicare came along in the late 60s and the LBJ administration is part of the Great Society. The Republican Party has been on record saying this is socialism. It's a terrible thing. Um, you know, a big companies should have an opportunity to make a profit off your getting sick and or your staying healthy for that matter. So what they did in 2005, I believe it was, was they created this Medicare Part C, which didn't exist before. It wasn't part of Medicare before. And Medicare Part C is not actually Medicare. It means you drop out of the Medicare system. You probably don't even realize you've done that. You drop out of the Medicare system and you sign up for insurance with a private for-profit health insurance company. Some of them are not for profit. Kaiser offers them too, but basically you're signing up for private health insurance. The upside is that some of these private health insurance companies can offer things like vision and hearing aids and stuff like that. The downside is that they typically, because these are private health insurance companies and they've got to make their 20% skim off the top to pay their executives their million dollar salaries and to pay their stockholders their dividends, if you get sick, if you get seriously sick, you can end up five, 10, 15, 20, or $1,000 or more in debt because of having gotten sick. And most people with Medicare Advantage plans don't realize this because they haven't yet gotten sick. But a lot of people have a very, very rude surprise when they do actually end up in the hospital. And you can look, you take the Medicare book, in the back pages of the Medicare book, it goes through all the Medicare Advantage plans and shows you how much your annual out-of-pocket is. You know, some are 3000 some are 5000 some are ten, some are 15 some are 20000 bucks. Flip side of that, I have regular Medicare plus a Medigap plan, which fills in that 20% hole that was put in Medicare at the very beginning by Republicans saying, well, people have to have skin in the game or they'll abuse the system. So, you know, my Medigap policy costs me a couple hundred bucks a month and Medicare is a hundred and change a month. And, and, you know, I have no deductibles, zero. I go to the doctor, I don't pay a penny. I go to the hospital, I don't pay a penny. I, you know, the the only thing that I pay for now is prescription drugs. And, and I get a huge discount on that because of Medicare Part D. But anyhow, so Trump goes down to Florida with the administrator for Medicare and Medicaid services, Seema Verma, another great advocate of privatization. 
And what they're trying to do, so far right now, about a third of people who think they're on Medicare are actually not on Medicare. They have these scam programs, these private insurance programs called Medicare Advantage. And, I mean, they've taken a third of people off Medicare and put them in these private programs just since 2005. That's just in 15 years. They're trying to get so many people off Medicare and onto Medicare Advantage, and particularly young, healthy people, because like I said, once people get sick, they figure out that it's a scam, and then they wait until November and they go back on Medicare. They dump their Medicare Advantage program. So the healthier retirees are migrating to Medicare Advantage. And what Trump just did is he said, now these companies, these plans, even though they've got these high deductibles that people don't even know about until they get sick, that these plans can offer more things, you know, gym memberships and eyeglasses and all kinds of cool stuff, you know, maybe, you know, green drinks, who knows. But they've just expanded the range of things that Medicare Advantage plans can offer in order to entice more people to leave Medicare. And the whole idea here, and, and in fact, this, this uh, policy that Trump signed is called, God's honest truth, this is what it's called. It's called Protecting Medicare from Socialist Destruction. That's the name of the presidential directive or policy statement or whatever the, the official title is for what Ms. Verma and Mr. Trump are doing here. The whole plan is to get so many people off Medicare that Medicare itself gets crippled by being essentially the dumping ground for really sick people. And then they can say, see, Medicare doesn't work anymore. It can't sustain its own expenses. This is the exact same thing Betsy DeVos is doing with public schools. You go in and you, and you take federal money or state money, I mean, you have government money, and you hand it off to religious schools, private schools, um, Christian schools, whatever it may be, and you cherry pick the best students. And then in poor neighborhoods where you have worse outcomes because poverty itself is you know, a horrible risk for bad school outcomes, in poor neighborhoods, the schools, because the money has been siphoned off for the charter schools, the public schools suffer. And then they say, see, look at this, public schools suck. We need to privatize the whole thing. When Democrats are advocating this, and there are a number of Democrats who advocate both these things, that is the neoliberalism that we were talking about. When Republicans advocate it, they're not trying to just weaken these programs as the neoliberal Democrats are, or the neoliberals in general. They're trying to destroy them. And Trump has just come right out and said, you know, we're going to mess with Medicare and ruin it so badly. I mean, he hasn't said it in these words, but he said this is to prevent Medicare for all. In what universe would everybody want to become part of a system that is failing? And if they can cause Medicare to fail, and they're working on this very, very aggressively, if they can cause Medicare to fail, then it's going to be a heck of a lot harder to sell people on Medicare for all. Elizabeth Warren doesn't talk about this so much. She basically just points to Bernie's plan. But Bernie has been having to say over and over and over again, I mean, if you've been hearing him talk about this, that his Medicare for all plan isn't the current Medicare program because the current Medicare program has this 20% hole that you have to fill in with private health insurance, the old Republican skin in the game hole, plus, um, you know, Medicare has this exception, Medicare Part C, that allows for so-called Medicare Advantage plans, which are just purely private health insurance that's subsidized with money out of the Medicare program. 
So it's weak, it weakens Medicare in a whole bunch of different ways, exactly like charter schools weaken public schools. You take money out of the program that's paying for the schools. You take money out of the program that's paying for Medicare. So Bernie keeps saying, I'm talking about something completely different. We're going to reinvent Medicare from the ground up, reestablish it as if it was 1967. We're going to restart it and just make it available to everybody and phase it in over a four-year period. Well, Trump is betting that he can destroy Medicare or damage it so badly that people will look at Medicare and go, I don't want that. It's incredible. Anyhow, pick up your phone calls right after this. This is the Tom Hartman Program. There's a, a great summary of this, by the way, over at uh, dailycos.com, a piece by John McCarter. It's worth reading. Tom Hartman here with you, and uh, let's see, let's pick up some phone calls. Denise in Calumet, Michigan. Hey, Denise, what's up? I just got my 2020 Medicare and You book. I'm looking at the back of the book where it compares all the different Advantage plans, and that's all there is offered in the back of this book is Advantage plans. Then you did not get that from the federal government. You got it from, what, AARP or one, some other organization that's selling insurance? No, it's the official U.S. government Medicare handbook. Really? And there's three pages about Medigap on page 69 to 71, and there's about 15 pages talking about Advantage plans. But when you look at the back where people, you know, really look for what plans they can get. The out-of-pocket limits are anywhere from 3,800 to 10,000, depending on what plan you get. And this is out-of-pocket before they pay for your doctor's visits and all that other stuff. It's really gone to the point where that 20% that they pay that Medicare doesn't, they're just really ripping the people off. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I haven't gotten a booklet like that. In fact, I'm not sure what you're talking about, and I've been on Medicare for a couple of years. But. It comes every year. It's called Medicare and You. It's huh. from CMS, and it comes every year, and it, it gives you all the different plans in your area where you live. I'll have to look for that. I'll, maybe it just came it's a and, book. and... It's about 150 pages or 120 pages. Yeah. But I've gotten it every year since I've gotten on Medicare. Maybe, Louisa, I thought it was junk mail. So I, the bottom line, what you're saying here, Denise, is, you know, for example, I have regular Medicare plus a Medigap insurance policy through one of the large health or insurance companies. They, they do a lot more than health insurance that is not United Healthcare. I refuse to give a penny to that company after they, they, they ripped us off so terribly for years and I cringe at the thought of them, which is also the reason why I will not join AARP because they've just right. become shills for United Healthcare. But in any case, I, I, go, I go to the doctor, I don't pay a penny. I went to the hospital, I didn't pay a penny. I think my total out of pocket over the course of a year, and I've had two surgeries since I went on Medicare, and my total out of pocket has been maybe a few hundred dollars a year, and it's been mostly for pharmaceuticals. But what you're saying is that on the Medicare Advantage plans, just like with regular, uh, regular, just like with for-profit and non-profit corporate health insurance, that they actually don't cover the first 3000 or up to $10,000 out of pocket, so you've got to pay when you go to the doctor? Is that what you're saying, Denise? That's what it looks like. It says out-of-pocket limits. Huh. And the lowest you one know, is 3000 3800 and the highest one is 10000 Wow. Amazing. And, you know, the thing is, is there, I used to be able to find my plans in here, because I'm on a Medigap supplement, too, mm-hmm. with Blue Cross in Michigan. But they don't have any Medigap plans listed here, just 
the three little pages that they talk about it on page 69. So people don't know when they're looking through this that they can actually, I think they're trying to mislead the people into getting all Medicare Advantage plans. Well, this is coming out of the Trump administration. Exactly. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, and I'm, yeah. I'm comparing it to, to two books from 2018 and 2019, yeah. and, and there's a big change this year. And I'll tell you what their plan is, is once they've got a critical mass of people, they've already got about a third of, of seniors now on Medicare Advantage. Once they've got half of seniors on Medicare Advantage, Medicare is going to start being seriously crippled. And once they take down Medicare, all the seniors are going to be back on private health insurance, and then they're really going to start screwing with us. Denise, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Amazing. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's up? In a general sense, when we have this idea that you should be able to go to your doctor to get a test that you read about, and that's what constitutes a good system, and if we can't get that in a single payer, then that's no good. That's not even good medical practice. So I really, I mean, Marion Wilson, I appreciate her much of what she does, but oftentimes she says things that just, she, it, it demonstrates she has no knowledge of the healthcare system, and people who are support her or are fans of hers or, or supporters of hers start to think that, oh, this is a bad thing. If we can't get this, no. It, actually, if you went into get a test without any evidentiary or differential evidence to, as to why you might need that test, you could come away with that uh, with a lot of misleading misinformation about what your condition really is that's bothering you. Right. So yeah. that's this. Well, this, and this is why really physicians, whether it's in Canada or in the United States, are going to be the gatekeepers for that kind of stuff, and and, and appropriately should be. They're the ones who went to medical school, <laughs> not and, you or me or the internet. You, <laughs> my friend in Canada, CPA, certified public accountant, retired, very well, very comfortable, retired. I don't know if it's about income there, but he said he pays hundred and forty-nine dollars a month. Which includes vision. He could have dental for another twenty-five bucks a month, but he says he doesn't do it. Right, and that twenty-five bucks a month, that add-on, that would be going through a private health insurance company. It's just like Medigap policies in the United States. So that's what he told me. Yeah, remarkable stuff. This is the Tom Hartman program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Robin Feldman's book, Drugs, Money, and Secret Handshakes, The Unstoppable Growth of Prescription Drug Prices from Oxford University Press. This is from the introduction. Everyone has a limit. Every budget has an endpoint. Although sellers would love to raise prices continually, it doesn't take fancy economics to know that at some point the money runs out. Why isn't that basic principle working as expected in the pharmaceutical industry? Instead, drug prices are rising continually and reaching astronomical levels with no end in sight. In May 2018, analysts reported that a company is contemplating a $1.5 million price tag for new hemophilia cure. The current hemophilia therapies already cost an astounding $580,000 to $800,000 a year. Along the same lines, Spark Therapeutics' cure for a rare form of blindness will cost $850,000, rivaling Novartis's planned $475,000 price tag for its CAR-T drug, Chimera. Even outside the eye-popping headlines, prescription drug prices across the board have risen to an alarming and puzzling level. A government inspector general's report found that the high cost of brand medications for common conditions like diabetes, high cholesterol, and asthma were the true problem for patients on Medicare. In fact, pharmaceutical companies have raised the prices most sharply for commonly used medications such as these. Similarly, an analyst report concluded that in 2016, the average price for a set of specialty drugs known as orphan drugs was $140,000 a year, and the average price of ordinary drugs was almost $28,000 a year. 
The list price of drugs tells only part of the story, given the many rebate and discount processes that exist within the industry. Nevertheless, real spending for drugs is rising as well. According to the Health and Human Services Inspector General's report, even after accounting for rebates, Medicare spending for branded drugs still rose 62 percent between 2011 and 2015. Worse yet, the department responsible for Medicare and Medicaid projects that the increase in national prescription drug spending will more than double in 2018 from the prior year's significant rise. In 2017, this increase in, in spending outpaced increased healthcare spending as a whole in the 2017-2018 Consumer Price Index. All of this despite the fact that roughly 80% of the prescriptions in this country are filled using generic drugs. No one would ever suggest that spending within the healthcare system follows an ordinary, rational model. The patient as consumer does not absorb the full cost of health care given the effects of private insurance and government programs, nor does the consumer possess full information about the products purchased or the cost of choices, and even physicians experience information gaps. Most important, the value consumers place on their own lives creates distortions that differ from buying choices in ordinary markets. Nevertheless, dollars are finite and some limits must exist. One can see the mounting pressure in government budgets, which are struggling to cover the cost of new expensive medicines. If the Defense Department had treated all veterans, all VA patients, infected with hepatitis C in 2015 using the breakthrough cure Sovaldi, the $12 billion cost would have accounted for 20% of the department's annual medical budget just for treating a single disease. With budgets in the home, patients reporting rationing or foregoing medications for lack of funding. This is precisely the type of boundary point that should create pressure to reduce prices, and yet the rises persist. This book analyzes and explains the phenomenon which has puzzled modern commentators and policymakers alike. Why do drug prices stubbornly continue to rise despite the promise of competition from generic drugs? Quite simply, the phenomenon occurs because internal incentives push every market participant toward behaviors that increase prices, knocking out the normal checks that should operate as breakpoints on the market. At the center of the system lies the highly secret and highly concentrated industry known as pharmacy benefit managers, or PBMs. These middle players negotiate prices between branded drug companies and those who pay the bills. They arrange for rebates from various drug companies. They also establish the formularies, which are the schedules that set the terms on which patients can access particular drugs and the reimbursement rate patients will get. The PBM middle players are supposed to act to ensure good bargains for patients and health insurers, but the reality is far from that ideal. Moreover, the system is deeply hidden. The contracts between the drug companies and the PBMs are a closely guarded secret, with the details known only to the drug companies and the PBMs themselves. Government entities and the private insurers who pay the bills are not permitted to see the full terms of the contracts. Those who pay are given periodic rebates without full information regarding the actual net pricing for any particular drugs. Markets thrive on information, and from the standpoint of competition, such an industry design is problematic at best. Despite the extreme secrecy, details have begun to seep out through case documents, including recent contract disputes among parties, government reports, reports to shareholders, state Medicaid actions, and industry insider reports. Placing together information from these original sources, this book presents, for the first time, a full picture of the perverse profit-taking incentive structures within the industry. The book demonstrates the way in which encouraging consumers to use drugs with higher prices operates in the interests of so many players, including doctors, clinics, hospitals, PBMs, brand drug companies, health plans,
patient assistance programs, and patient advocacy programs. And then it continues from there. Drugs, Money, and Secret Handshakes by Robin Feldman. Coming up on the holidays, good time to lose weight. Up until last year, I'd never endorsed a weight loss product, but I decided to change that after reading about university research into a molecule in olive oil that regulates appetite. Louise convinced me there was one that was worth sharing, and a year later, I have to say she was right. She said that once her appetite and cravings were under control, losing weight was easy, and she's kept it off. And my producer, Sean, was so impressed with Louise's results that she's trying Riduzone, too. Sean wants to lose a little weight before the holidays, and she says Riduzone is the easiest diet supplement she's ever used. One capsule with breakfast, and just forget it. No jitters, no hunger, no wild food cravings. Sean says meals are no longer a battle not to overeat. She feels full faster and has reduced portion sizes accordingly. She also says she feels full longer, so no more grazing between meals either. The only ingredient in Riduzone occurs naturally in the body and is completely non-stimulant. That really appealed to both Louise and Sean. Listen, if you're looking to lose weight this season, I strongly suggest you give non-prescription Riduzone a try. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive up to 65% off plus free shipping. Go to Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. Riduzone.com. R-I-D-U-Zone.com. Code, promo code TOM. Riduzone.com. Tom Hartman here with you. And uh, let's see here, Lee in Tucson, Arizona. Hey, Lee, what's on your mind? 80% of the savings of Medicare for All, due to having only one payer, the one with the lowest administrative cost, the federal government has, you know, like 2 to 5% versus the 18% of the for profit. Right. So just adding public option to the large number of for profits we have will not generate this savings. And in fact, it will allow these for profits companies to cherry pick the public option to death by appealing to only the healthiest and leaving the public option holding only the sickest patients who are the most costly people. Yeah, I mean, they're doing that right now with the private Medicare plans, the Medicare Advantage, by saying, we'll give you a gym membership. Well, who's going to want a gym membership? Somebody who's not real, real sick. They want the real, real sick people to go on Medicare. Yeah, exactly. So this will cause serious financial problems for the public option. And that, along with the failure of the savings that we spoke about to materialize, will be used by the for-profit, who will use then their corporate industry, their um, corporate media, to blame the public option's failure and the lack of savings on being government-run. And that will sour the public on on the idea of Medicare for All for the foreseeable future. And most important is that Medicare for All will cover everyone for the full cost of all medical necessities for life. A public option will not. Yeah. If, if I was advising a presidential candidate on how to do this, I would point out that, first of all, the whole point of insurance is everybody's in. If you spread the yeah. risk base over as many people as possible, uh, over yeah. the largest possible number of people, uh, everybody's in, then, you know, you've, you've got the best program. Uh, and the, and, and the most... That makes it cheapest, most efficient. Yeah, that's correct, and the most and the most uh, durable, right? The the most robust. I believe that I have this right about Canada. I I should, you know, I haven't fact checked myself because I've been on the air since this issue came up. But I believe that when Canada went to a Medicare for All program, they basically outlawed private health insurance, and that a few years back they said, okay, we're going to unoutlaw it. You know, if a wealthy person wants to buy a health insurance policy from a for-profit health insurance company that, you know, has 
private jets to take you to the hospital, you know, that includes flying you overseas to special places or whatever. You know, if, they, if somebody wants to buy a private health insurance policy, that's fine. You can do that. You're still enrolled in Medicare. Everybody's enrolled in Medicare. But you can also buy additional policies or supplemental policies. And perhaps even you could pull yourself out of the, uh, out of the Medicare for All system. But that would be an opt-out system. What everybody's talking about is an opt-in system. And an opt-in system, you know, in other words, everybody has private health insurance, but if you want, you can take the public option. You can opt into, into Medicare. The problem there is that the sickest people end up opting in and everybody else opts out. And so I think it just yeah. needs to be reversed. Make it automatic. Everybody gets it automatically. You know, just boom, here's your policy. You've got it. You're in good shape. You don't need to do anything. By the way, if you want to bail on this, fill out these forms and start paying a private insurance company. Anyhow, Lee, thanks a lot for the call. I, you know, spot on. And your points were very, very well made. Uh, Julie... Uh, healthcare in Canada, just to set the record straight. I am a U.S. citizen, originally from Chicago. Thanks for coming by, by the way. I live in Canada now and worked in the U.S. insurance industry. Also have, I'm on the executive board of Democrats Abroad. I'm watching the election. We're blessed to have a great field of candidates. Mm-hmm. And also I have experience with the U.S. and Canadian systems, both as a patient and as someone with a close family member with diabetes, in addition to having worked in the U.S. insurance industry. Marianne Williamson, I just wanted to make the point that her point about Canadian care and you somehow get worse care unless you're really sick is just unfortunately not at all accurate. In reality, you can go to any clinic to see a doctor at any time. It is not hard to get tests done. Obviously, there is a gatekeeper mechanism in terms of specialists that are referred by a GP, but it's very easy to see a GP in any clinic. Um, and the level of being able to access care actually is very high. I don't think she made that point. Yeah, and, and uh, every time, I mean, typically it would be me conserva- debating conservatives. Every time somebody comes on and basically trash talks Canadian health care, I get all these calls from Canadians and people living in Canada saying, no, 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 we like it here. Is my recollection correct, Julie, that in the beginning, the Canadian health care system, their Medicare for all system, and they call it Medicare in Canada, that their Medicare system covered absolutely everybody. And basically, you couldn't buy private health insurance. And then a decade or so ago, they opened that up and they said, you know, if, if you want to buy private health insurance or even supplemental health insurance, which is something that probably would be more appealing to very, very wealthy people or people who travel internationally a lot, they might want a policy it would cover them in other countries, things like that. The to open that up a little bit? I am not privy to that level going back historically that far, but Mm -hmm. what I can say is I know that in the 1990s, a lot of things were covered, such as dental and vision, such as Bernie wants to cover in his plan, in the Canadian health care plan. It also covered extended medical with things like physiotherapy, massage therapy. This was all covered under the main health care plan. In the 1990s, there was an attempt of a conservative party coup. They succeeded in getting vision and dental and a lot of extended medical things knocked off, but basic Medicare's remained in place. So what most people do is they will have, through their job, 
the way that private insurance can still function in a Medicare for all system is exactly what you've talked about so many times on your show, which is they offer services that are not provided by basic Medicare for all and extend on those services, such as, um, you know, such as extended medical benefits uh, for my husband, who's a teacher, includes dental care, includes long-term disability. So there is a role for private insurance companies in a system with universal health care, but it is not providing basic care. And if you, and you've talked about this many times on your show, are savvy about how risk pools work, there's no math that makes a for-profit basic health care system work without denying care. It's yeah. just not possible. Yeah. So in Canada, it does vary province to province whether or not you're paying. Uh, we pay in B.C. a, a premium called an MSP premium. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very, very, very low for a family. But it's, May uh, I ask a how, much, how much you're the, paying or how much do you think the average family pays for their Medicare every, every month in Canada? I think ours is around 80 something a month. $80 a month. I, I would have to ask my husband a little mm-hmm. bit about the average cost and exactly what our MSP is. I thought at one point it was 300 for the whole family, but the level of coverage and the access is at least as good or better than anything I had with Blue Cross in the U.S. Great. And, um, it's important for people to know that universal health care, we have a chance to make this happen in the U.S. It won't take away health care from people. You won't lose your private insurance because you just won't have all that extra out-of-pocket spending money so their CEO can have a new yacht. Right. You're going to have everybody will be covered with basic quality health care coverage. Got it. I really appreciate your call. Thank, Thank you, you so much, and keep up the good work. Thank you. I'll do my best. Thanks, Julie. Uh, Bass, am I saying your name right in Odessa, Texas? Yes. Yes, you are. I'm a U.S. physician, and I just don't appreciate what Ms. Williams said. If you want to get any tests done. I mean, we talk about cost of care. So if I read something on an Internet and I just go to the doctor and say, I want this test done, how does that impact our health care system? As it is right now, we do not have a system. But to just go willy-nilly and just demand for any test that you want just because you read it, it's not good for health care to start with. Right. If I went to my doctor here in Portland and I said, hey, I just read this thing on the Internet that says that I need to find out, you know, what my zinc levels are because, you know, maybe my eyeballs will pop out next week or something. And my doctor thought that was crazy. My doctor would simply say, you know, you don't need that test. That's nuts. You shouldn't be reading that crazy stuff on the Internet. And educate you about it, yes. But, you know, just because you want something, you want a test done, you should be able to get it doesn't, you know. In addition to this discussion, you know, I have a father who lives in London. He's 94 years old. Okay? He loves the health, you know, British healthcare system. Yes, which is pure socialist and, medicine. In Britain, the government think, actually owns the hospitals, we, and, the, and the doctors are employees of the government. See, we put a label on it, and that's where we start getting it wrong. Yeah. You know, when you have a gatekeeper, the GP is the equivalent of the primary care here. And it's the GP that will see my dad listen to his complaint, gets to know him a lot. So he knows his, you know, his demeanor, he knows his whims and, 
and what he likes and what he doesn't like. My 94-year-old dad still wants to, you know, check his prostate. You know, so the GP will send him to the uh, you know, urologist. Mm-hmm. The urologist will see him, evaluate him, write his report, and send it back to the GP. Right, it's how, it's how it works here, too. It's, it's very much how it works here, too. Bass, I need to move along, but thank you for weighing in as a physician. I appreciate your feedback and your information. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Fair and only slightly unbalanced. Tom Hartman here with you, speaking the truth to the multinational corporations. Really around you didn't know about. Well, traveling on airplanes really does a number on my back, and that's when I'm thankful for New Leaf Naturals CBD oil. CBD oil is non-intoxicating, which makes it ideal for people seeking the health benefits of cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of medical marijuana. CBD is non-toxic and has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. The brand I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. It's 100% organic, highly concentrated, contains no additional additives, grown in the USA, and the only ingredient is hemp, so the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com, that's n-u-leafnaturals.com, and save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to newleafnaturals.com. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. To get 30% off, go to newleafnaturals, newleafnaturals.com, and use the code TOM, T-H-O-M, newleafnaturals.com. That's newleafnaturals.com, code TOM. Diane in Flemington, New Jersey. Hey, Diane, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I have a burning question that maybe you can nail down the answer to. I listen to a lot of progressive radio and talk shows, and I watch the mainstream media. And I don't hear anybody talking about this particular issue. It has to do with Medicare for All, or specifically some of the half-baked plans to have it available but not mandatory. Right. Okay, here's my question. If companies who probably are paying huge sums of money annually to cover their employees with health care and health insurance, Mm -hmm. if there were an option of a public option, why wouldn't all these companies bail out in their obligation? Because unless they're in a contractual agreement of some sort, which most aren't, they don't have to provide health insurance to their employees. There's no mandate for it. Right. No, they they don't have to, and they never have outside of the ones that have union contracts. And right. uh, but so but what the, would but stop them? well, what would stop them is the same thing that causes them to give health insurance in the first place, um, which is some do it because you know it's the right thing to do. Their employees can't afford to buy the insurance on their own, and others do it because particularly some of the larger employers in the more dead end jobs. Uh, is because it's something that ties their employees to them. Uh, you know, there's, there's something like 40% of Americans hate their jobs and would change their jobs, but, but, uh, if, but if they did, they would lose health insurance 
uh, it can't be 40, it's, it can't be that high, but some substantial percentage of Americans um, are afraid. So you don't to, think it's it would be incentivized for them, to, for a lot of companies to abdicate, to give up so that their employees would then just be enrolled in Medicare for All or whatever the name of the what program they, what is? They, what they may do, uh, particularly the companies that um, are doing it because it's the right thing. I mean, I, I provide, you know, uh, Louise and I own this little company that is a show, and, and we provide health insurance to our full-time employees. And if you had Medicare for All and people could simply opt into it, we may just reimburse our employees for the cost of that. But it, frankly, it's easier for the employer to buy it because it's tax deductible to an employer and it's not tax deductible to the employee. So you'd have to change the tax laws. In other words, if the insurance costs, you know, 500 bucks a month, and the employee has to pay it, they're going to have to earn seven or $800 a month or whatever it is, you know, before taxes in order to come up with the 500 to pay for it. If I, as the employer, pay for it, I just write a check for 500 bucks. And so until that dynamic changes, I don't think that Medicare for All is going to change uh, the, the Medicare option, a public option like Pete Buttigieg and Kamala Harris are suggesting, I don't think that that's going to change that dynamic that much. The other problem with Medicare for all who want it, which is what Buttigieg is calling his program, is that for Medicare to actually work, to be able to cover everybody in the country, it has to have an absolutely massive base of people in it, including young, healthy people. This was the problem Obamacare had, that you have to have everybody in or you go broke if all you insure are the, you know, the, the sicker people. And so that's, that's why it has to be pretty much Medicare for all or not at all. And these halfway measures are simply going to damage Medicare and not solve the problem, in my humble opinion. Diane, thank you for the call. It's a, it's a great one. A very, very thoughtful question. I appreciate it. Patrick in Jupiter, Florida. Hey, Patrick, what's on your mind? I'm having a problem with the VA right now. And what's going on is we always had a program called Choice. And with our Choice program, if we had a problem that couldn't be solved by the local VA, we could go to local doctors. Since January 1st, Donald Trump did away with the Choice program. He says that Choice is great, this and that, that he promoted it. They did away with it. They've hired a private insurance company called TriWest, and nobody mm -hmm. in Palm Beach County accepts TriWest as a insurer. So I've got skin cancers from Agent Orange, and I can't even see a provider. They want me to go 100 miles away. So That's insane. I know that this was something that was passed during the Obama administration, wasn't it? That's another thing that he has tried to get rid of that President Obama put in place. The choice had Obama's that's, name on that's it. incredible. Now we have no choice. It's gone. Yeah. And well, veterans uh, don't Patrick, realize that I'm yet. I'm very sorry to hear that. Every time he's on stage, he lies about it. He says, I got choice. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And he says, you know, yeah, I got choice. No, it was Obama who got choice, number one. And basically, this is for people who live, particularly for rural people, who live, you know, a ways away from a major VA hospital, that they can just go to their local doctor and still have it be funded through the VA. And I didn't know that Trump had restricted it. It doesn't surprise me at all. He's tried to undo absolutely everything Obama did. I thought this was the one thing that he wasn't going to undo, that he was simply going to lie about and take credit for, which is what he's been doing up to this point. But 
Patrick, I would encourage you to get very, very active on social media. There are a lot of veterans groups on Facebook. There's lots of ways to communicate with your fellow veterans. And I hope you are telling your story far and wide. Patrick, thank you for the call. I wish you the very best. Zach in Seattle. Hey, Zach, what's up? Hey, Tom. I love your show. Just wanted to talk to you about the documentary, Get Me Roger Stone. It's a mind-blowing documentary. I just can't believe that he's gotten away with you know, the things that he did back in the 2016 election. And I wonder what his role in this whole Ukraine scandal is. And just kind of like, I don't know, he's been very quiet. Kind of curious on if you know any updates on him at all. I don't have any updates on him, and I'm not sure that I've seen the Get Me Roger Stone documentary. I don't recall specifically. What I do recall is... uh, Client Number 9, which is the documentary about the former governor of New York State, Elliot, oh, what was Elliot's last name? Elliot played a big Spitzer. role. Yeah, Elliot Spitzer, thank you. Roger Stone played a big role on behalf of a billionaire that Spitzer was investigating, illegally getting information about Spitzer to the media and to prosecutors. So he's been around this block more than once. He's an old-time dirty trickster. That's why he's got Richard Nixon tattooed on his back. But, Zach, I don't have any updates. I'm sorry. It it, it probably would be a good idea to find out what's going on. Noah in Newport, Ritchie, Florida. Hey, Noah, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I guess what's on my mind is that impeachment seems to be taking away the focus on issues that are really affecting the American people, health care, things like unions, and climate change, most importantly. We don't have much time to act on that. And I've gotten with my representative, and surprisingly, he's a Republican who believes in anthropogenic climate change. And I've gotten with him, Hmm. and we're working on possibly getting a 100% renewable energy bill written up sometime here in the near future. But now we have to consider impeachment and how that's going to kind of eat up the time on on the House floor to get anything introduced. Well, you know, when they were impeaching Nixon, there was major legislation passed. I believe the legislation authorizing the EPA was passed, or at least one of the, you know, Clean Air, Clean Water Acts. I mean, there was some very, very major legislation that was passed. There was major legislation passed when Bill Clinton was being impeached. So the problem isn't, I don't think, the impeachment inquiry. It's taking stuff off the front page of the newspapers. I'll give you that. The problem is that over 200 pieces of legislation have already been passed, including climate change legislation, out of the House of Representatives, and they're dying at Mitch McConnell's feet. He's just killing this stuff. So that's where we should be focusing our ire. Elizabeth in Monroe, Michigan. Hey, Elizabeth, what's on your mind today? I'd like your help to understand and maybe some advice on where to go from here. There's been a fund set up for people who've been damaged by exposure to Roundup that contains glyphosate. And Mm -hmm. so, so it's a proven fact that this causes cancer. Well, okay, then how come we can't have a class action lawsuit as Americans for what Monsanto has done to our staple food crops? They've genetically engineered them so that they would be susceptible to the glyphosate that would kill the weeds and stuff. So we're being inundated with this glyphosate. If they've already proved it's cancer-causing, what's going on? What's going on is that the Trump administration is, um, and, and, and frankly, previous administrations, we've, we've known this for some time, the European Union, uh, I believe it was during the Obama administration, declared glyphosate a probable carcinogen. Um, it, it, I think this is but one of the reasons that Monsanto's... It. 
Oh, I, I think we've been able to prove it for some time. I think this is one of the reasons why Monsanto sold itself to Bayer. And, uh, and Bayer didn't realize what they were buying, that they were buying all this liability. And now we know that e- there's glyphosate in our beer. There's glyphosate in our bread. Yeah. There's glyphosate in anything made with any grains because they use glyphosate now not just to kill right. weeds, but they're now using it before harvesting. They spray it on the wheat crop so that the wheat dies and the stalks become brittle so that the threshing machines, they used to lose about 10 or 15% of the crop because the, 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 the greens, you know, grass stalks uh, holding the heads of wheat would, would kind of gum up the threshing machines. And now they spray the glyphosate on and then they wait three days and they harvest it. And by that time, the, the, the wheat stalks are all brittle and they pop right off. And so they're, they're getting more wheat. But the but because it was sprayed just before it was harvested, the stuff is just saturated with it. It's 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 throughout our food supply, and I'm convinced that this explosion of gluten sensitivity that we're seeing all across the the country is a direct result of glyphosate because glyphosate was originally brought to market as a, as an antibiotic. It kills bacteria, and but it also the same mechanism, the same way that it interrupts a metabolic process inside bacteria and causes them to die, is how it also kills some weeds, and and um, and so the theory, one of the working theories right now, and there was an interesting piece published over at the National Institutes of Health recently that I I sent to to my daughter who's a nurse practitioner and said you know what do you think of this and she's like whoa that 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 suggests that the glyphosate is interrupting or interfering with the ability of the good bacteria in our gut to to stay alive and do its thing and the result of that could be not just the gluten intolerance not just you know gas and diarrhea and stuff like that that people get when they when they eat wheat now but but also could be that bad bacteria are starting to proliferate in our gut and that leads to you know it turns that leads to obesity because it turns out that the good bacteria actually secrete hormones that tell our body I'm full now and you know the i think it's called leptin and so i mean this could be huge it could be that glyphosate isn't just causing cancer it could be that it's causing obesity indirectly and it's causing ibs and it's causing you know all these other things so uh I, you know what louise and i have done I, you know obviously we've taken wheat out of our diet i haven't been able to eat wheat for for almost two decades now but um you know just eating nothing but organic but you know we can afford to do that most people can't and I think that the, 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 if you look at the explosion of obesity in the United States, it follows Roundup. If you look at the explosion of gluten sensitivity or celiac disease, it follows the, the you know, the, the, how many tons of glyphosate are being sprayed on our food every, every year. I'm very concerned about this. And now you've got lawyers on TV saying if uh, you or somebody in your family was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is the one type of cancer that they have proven glyphosate can cause, um, and, and this is tens of thousands of Americans. If you're one of them, you know, call our law firm and we will sue on your behalf. And, uh, and, and yeah, Monsanto, now Bayer, has apparently set aside um, the number, I think, was $18 billion. Some, maybe it was $8 billion. Some mind-boggling amount of money uh, to cover these settlements. So it's coming. In terms of the class action, Elizabeth, that would be a question to ask a, you know, a lawyer who does that kind of stuff. I don't know the answer to the question. But typically, class action lawsuits don't return the kind of you know really big uh, settlements. There may be a big grand settlement, but the lawyers end up with most of it. In this case, it's going to the individuals. Elizabeth, thank you for the call, and thanks for raising that topic. It's an important one. Diana in Vancouver, Washington. Hey, Diana, what's on your mind today? I called you a while back when they were uh, working on the ACA, and to make the point that 
that Medicare had farmed out private contracts to private insurance companies. Therefore, private insurance companies were essentially going, they were going by Medicare rules, but there was already the tie in there. That was what I was telling you back then, because I was, I think, believe I told you there were lousy Medicare, like, you know, like the only thing secure about that horizon was that you'd be getting out your wallet. And so... <laughs> At the time, I was getting very frustrated by uh, the the lack of knowledge just in in yeah. Congress what yeah, the I things they were saying we're, we're, about health care. So and yeah, so where are you going with this, Diana? I'm sorry, but it's I put together a big picture when you were talking about how the money comes out of Medicare, so it's not really Medicare in that sense. So I have another mm-hmm. point regarding I had wondered about the twenty percent on Bernie's plan. Well, you filled that gap in. So mm-hmm. the whole picture ne- now needs to be completed by the fact that we have a shortage of positions across the country. Right. When I well, had- that's, been, that's been the case for a long, long time because the AMA has been keeping the number of med school graduates low in order to keep physician salaries high. Yes. And there's a whole story behind that of how private practice went away, and a lot of it has to do with when that Medicare, what happened with the Medicare contract when they gave it to private insurance companies. However, my point is we have a shortage of physicians, and every time I hear keep your doctor, I want to say uh, from the shortage, pick your doctor from the shortage. In most right. communities, yeah. if you have Obamacare, what they call, okay, ACA, you're going to be, or Medicaid expansion, you're going to be sitting right next to a Medicare person who has, you know, regular Medicare or uh, Medicare Advantage. The same doctors are seeing all of these patients. There are no ma- wonderful, magic, special doctors that private insurance is paying you to, you know, yeah. is paying to come see you when no, you pay I, more for that. I, I get your yeah. point, and and I and I think the good news is you know uh, is that um, there are people within medicine that are filling in these gaps. One of my kids is a, is a nurse practitioner. Another one of my kids just took her final exam yesterday for uh, yesterday the day before yesterday for becoming a, a physician's assistant, a PA. And oh, excellent! These are, yeah. You know, yeah, they're 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 filling in a lot of the holes that are left by doctors. And frankly, my experience has been that nurse practitioners and, and PAs provide NPs and PAs provide better care. I mean, they they don't have to operate on this. You've got six minutes in the billing cycle for the doctor. Um, you know, they'll sit and talk with you for 15, 20, 30 minutes and and uh, do a little deeper dive. And they're more likely to catch things that doctors would miss. So, you know, in a way, the AMA has kind of shot themselves in the foot. Tim in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Hey, Tim, what's up? You answered my question just a few minutes ago. I was calling about this Donald Trump craziness about saving Medicare from socialist destruction, and I have a great fear of what that might actually mean because I don't put anything past this maniac. And uh, I tell you, I am on Medicare, and I have a heart condition, and if I didn't have Medicare, I'd be living under a bridge. So I just want to, you know, give a heads up to all the folks out there that Trump is up to no damn good, excuse my language, is up to no good on the saving Medicare from socialist destruction. And you laid out the answer just perfectly for what I was seeking, and I appreciate it. And I'll get off the air now and let you take another call. Okay, thank you, Tim. You're absolutely right. 
Bloomberg reports there's an increasing number of people concerned about their wealth due to the fear we may be entering a larger economic crisis than 2008. If you've been paying attention, you know the Dow recently had its sixth largest point loss in history, and the stock market continues to show extreme volatility. Meanwhile, central bank gold purchases have risen to a six-decade high, sending gold prices higher. CNBC and the World Gold Council reports Russia and China are swapping out U.S. dollars from their own portfolios, investing in safer, more liquid assets like gold. And what makes things even more suspicious, the U.S. Federal Reserve reportedly holds the most gold of all central banks. What's everyone getting ready for? If you share the gut feeling that something is soon to go south with the global economy, call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Proper gold and silver strategy will help secure your entire wealth portfolio. Call ITM Trading at one own gold Gold. Ask them for their free gold protection guide and secure your wealth while you still can. That's 1-888-OWN-GOLD. The Tom Hartman University Book Club. We're reading from Walking Your Blues Away, How to Heal the Mind and Create Emotional Well-Being from Chapter 1, How Trauma Sticks and the Mechanism of PTSD. One of the enduring mysteries in the field of psychology is why the same event produces such different memories and responses in different people. Citing a report in the New England Journal of Medicine, the writer noted the researchers surveyed more than 6,000 soldiers in the month before and after service in Iraq and Afghanistan. Almost 17% of those who fought in Iraq reported symptoms of major depression, severe anxiety, or post-traumatic stress disorder, compared with 11% of the troops who served in Afghanistan. In World War II, post-war depression and anxiety was called battle fatigue. In World War I, we called it shell shock. The question isn't so much why it happens. We know GIs in war do and see horrific things. The question that perplexes us is why post-war anxiety and depression haunts some veterans and not others. Of course, some vets see harder combat than others, but even that doesn't account for the statistics. There are still huge variations among individual soldiers in how they respond to the same event. The same is true in the civilian world. Some people develop PTSD and others don't, facing the exact same circumstances. In order to understand why some people are still shocked months and even years after a traumatic event, it's necessary to first understand how the brain and mind processes trauma. The brain is a complex collection of deeply interconnected parts and processes. I'm vastly oversimplifying here for the purpose of description. And in light of those caveats, here's a possible scenario that's not inconsistent with much of what's known about brain function. There's a part of the limbic brain, or visceral brain, called the hippocampus that's believed to function as a one-day scratch pad for memory. Everything you experience throughout the day is stored in the hippocampus. In order for the impressions of the experience to become a long-term memory, they must pass through the hippocampus into the rest of the brain. People with a damaged hippocampus remember past events but have extreme difficulty learning new things. Although the rest of the brain is able to integrate recent information from the hippocampus in relation to stored memories, in order to understand that one thing happened a week ago and another thing happened a month ago, the hippocampus knows only one time, today. During the night as we sleep, the hippocampus dumps its information from the day into the rest of the brain for processing, sorting, storing, and disposing of irrelevant information. As the brain is processing the details of the day from the hippocampus, we experience what we call dreaming. Many sleep researchers are convinced that when we experience REM sleep, most of the events, including the traumas of our daily life, are processed. The processing of information management completed when we wake up in the morning, the hippocampus is once again empty and ready to record another day. The problem emerges when the hippocampus is carrying information that's too much or too hot for the larger brain slash mind to handle. When a recent memory is too strong to be easily and unremarkably processed, it presents in our dream world as a nightmare. 
If that still doesn't download the information from the hippocampus, then the trauma either becomes buried in the subconscious, a process Freud referred to as repression, or it gets thrown back into the hippocampus the next morning. It's as if the brain says, whoa, that's too much for me to process in one evening. Please hang on to it for another day. When the person wakes up in the morning, the information is still there in the hippocampus, still remembered and known and felt as if it happened that same very day. The conjecture that the hippocampus knows little about the more distant past accounts for the unique feature of true PTSD that the person feels every day as if the past event happened today, or at least in the very recent past. The trauma is always front, center, new, fresh, and raw. The consequences can be psychologically and emotionally devastating. Every day is affected by a past event. The traumatic event never passes from now until then and is never processed and filed away in the memory banks where it loses the power to cause pain and problems on a daily basis. The impact of this on the mind and the emotions is staggering. Brain scans even demonstrate that before a PTSD event has been processed, the amygdala, a part of the brain responsible for strong emotional states, such as those involved with survival or the perception of a threat to survival, and the hippocampus are not functioning normally. The brain scan makes it possible to, in a way, see the effect of the stuck memory. After processing the memory, these parts of the brain usually return to normal functioning. One of the key concepts of many schools of psychology is that human beings are most functional when every part of the mind has access to all other parts. In particular, this functionality is a matter of having full access to positive resources, such as memories of times when we were successful in our undertakings and the good feelings we associate with those accomplishments. Working from this level of functionality then, when we take on a new task, for example, we first remember times in the past when we attempted something similar and accomplished our goals. This functionality can be accessed in all endeavors, from embarking on a new love relationship to making your first public speaking engagement. Memories of past accomplishments and capabilities are stored in parts of the brain far from the amygdala and the hippocampus. The amygdala and hippocampus, part of our brain's most primary and primitive structures, lie deep in the brain. Thus, having a negative memory stuck deep in the hippocampus blocks the pain and fear associated with that memory from reaching and associating with positive memories and resource states, which are housed in more distant parts of the brain. So in other words, if we don't get these traumatic memories out of the hippocampus, then everything coming in gets filtered through that and blocked having access to resource states that can help and heal us. So the rest of the book is how to get that stuff out of the hippocampus. The book is Walking Your Blues Away. And don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. Democracy really, I mean, the whole idea of democracy is the demos. It's us, right, the people. So get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. back. Tom Hartman here with you. Oh, people who disagree with me on health care or disagree on health care in general. Rich in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, what's your disagreement? Well, my disagreement isn't with you. It's more the uh, callers that were saying you shouldn't be able to go in for a test just because you want one. Okay. And and uh, I think the best advice my doctor, or my parents' doctor ever said was that you know yourself better than anybody else. And right. it actually worked, worked for us because my son was having pain in his ribs and took him to an urgent care and they took an x-ray and didn't see anything. They said it was probably a football injury, even though he was never injured in football. 
and sent him home. The next day we went again because he was having hard, hard times breathing. And same thing. They said it was nothing. Went to the doctor a third day in a row. And he finally thought it was something, but the chest x-rays didn't show anything. Well, finally, the fourth day, we had to take him into the emergency room. And if we wouldn't have got chest x-rays done, they would have never saw that he had pneumonia and it collapsed his lung. Oh, jeez. liter bottle. Yeah. Leader bubble out of his lung. Yeah. So, Rich, what I think what has happened here, and I think it's really important to point this out. I think that what has happened here is that the for-profit health insurance industry has been delivering massive amounts of misinformation to American people for years and years and years, and they've taken one little tiny slice of a normal American's experience with health care which is, hey, I, I, you know, I, is that a lump or I think I've got a problem or, you know, maybe my blood sugar is off because I'm craving sugar or what, you know, whatever. And I go to my doctor, they've taken this one little slice and said, uh, well, you, you know, some people abuse this, other people don't. You don't want, you know, but you, you, don't, you don't want the government telling you that you can or can't get tests. And now they've got us all chasing our tails around something that is less than one-tenth of one percent of the entire experience of, of, of getting health care, so that we are not discussing the fact that United Healthcare still has, you know, uh, a whole bunch of executives who are making more than a million dollars, that their last two CEOs made over a billion dollars, that, that the industry has basically bought and captured the entire Republican Party and half the Democratic Party, um, and that, there's, that they're robbing us blind. And instead, we're sitting around talking about whether we should be able to get tests. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I want universal health care totally, but I do think you should be able to go for a test when you think you need one. Yeah, there you <laughs> Not go. Not just because the doctor says so. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I agree. I, and, and nobody in Canada is being denied a test that they need, and nobody in the United States is being denied a test, with the best of my, to the best of my knowledge. Rich, thanks for the call. Francis in Seattle says, here you're a doc who disagrees with, with another doc. What, what's, what's up, Francis? Um, I trained in psychiatry and internal medicine, and about half of my medical career I spent doing consults in hospitals, so mm -hmm. I saw thousands of other doctors work. And what I noticed is that when Reagan cut funding for uh, Medicaid, all of a sudden a lot of the doctors wouldn't order tests on Medicaid children that they would order on other children. Uh, now, there's been a concerted effort by the health industry to convince doctors that patients are the problem. So recently, um, I fell and went to the ER, and they failed to diagnose that my leg was broken. Oh, jeez. And then the next doctor... And you're doctor a doctor. Went to, <laughs> yeah, and the next doctor I went to failed to diagnose that my leg was broken in three places. Oh, my. And they refused to put me in the hospital. There was no way I could get around in my house. I spent a hell week trying to find people to take care of my, my house, but it was right before Christmas. Finally, the advice nurse told me to just go to the ER and sit there until they put me in the hospital. Right. So I did. They treated me very badly. Um, they, that, was, that was before I went to another doctor and got it diagnosed that I had a leg broken in three places. The doctor that saw the x-ray or the MRI that showed my leg was broken failed to call and tell me. So I walked on a broken leg for a week. Oh. And when I went into the clinic for my follow-up appointment, the physician's assistant screaming at me because I'm working on a broken leg. And, you know, being a psychiatrist, I'm used to dealing with crazy, angry, screaming people. So I just let him wind down. And I looked at him and said, how was I supposed to know? No one told me. Right, right. And so this is, and this is the American healthcare system. 
this is the American healthcare system is terrible. The the error rate's gone up so much since the mid nineties. Yeah. And one day in nineteen ninety four, my pay fell by two thirds because what had happened is the insurance industry managed to con- to coordinate itself thanks to the increasing sophistication of computers in the nineteen eighties. And there was a law passed in 1946 called the McCarran-Ferguson Act. McCarran was one of the most crooked senators that ever lived. And this law said that the federal government could not regulate the insurance industry for antitrust. Only the states. Oh, yeah, could. that's right. They have, they have an exception, don't they? Just like yeah, the NFL they had does. a law passed. The law was passed yeah. within a year of the first successful antitrust case against a group of insurance companies being validated by the Supreme Court. Wow. And therefore, so, we're all we're all at the mercy of the of the big insurance companies, um, right? And I knew that was coming because you know I found a radiation leak where I worked before I went to med school, and I just kind of seen the system from the point of view of a, a woman of low income who was smart, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I knew it was coming, so I paid off my loans as fast as I could. And Reagan screwed poor people over on the loans. I mean, I had a poor student loan, and I ended up paying five times what the other students paid, the rich students. Amazing. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, it is. Francis, thanks for sharing your story with us. I mean, you know, welcome to America. And don't forget, democracy starts with you. Get out there, get out and tag your it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 